talking about Tom Waits. Tom Waits. So this is a very different episode than we've uh, had before. Can I just say that all three of the episodes have been different from each other? I mean, they will continue to be different from each other, but this is extra different? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that makes any sense. No. But anyways, uh, the difference here is that you have a prior relationship with this particular cultural object. That makes it sound like I fucked a statue of Tom Waits. I mean, I don't know. We'll get to that, I guess. <laughs> Uh, uh cheap jokes um in that you were you uh, have been a fan throughout the years you know a lot about tom waits uh much more than me i know nothing uh i'm the faker in this episode mm-hmm. as i have been really all the way through yeah so that might be the through line listeners this um, actually is further evidence in my for my theory that this show is actually just about you yeah and- i mean we're gonna rename it like faking it the gave Boylan story like soon yeah we can just edit all my parts out it'll be fine yeah it'll just be like a confessional like you know the lies that I've told you haven't really told me lies to be, to speak of so far no um, you have but they're not as bad as mine so anyway in this one uh, I'm the liar um, to get to it this is faking it a show where we check our cultural blind spots make up for past wrongs and come to terms with the shameful lies we've told and again, this is going to be more about me coming to terms with the shameful lies that I've told. Mark is just going to brag about all the, the stuff that he knows. No, I'm just going to come to terms with the fact that I listened to Tom Waits very sincerely for a long time. Yeah, we might have to rewrite the intro about right. what we're coming to terms about I know. In, in various circumstances. So I think I, I feel like you should start. I have a few sort of instances in life to talk about where Tom Waits came up and I you know, told lies or just kind of nodded along or did the thing that we talk about, uh, you know, uh, in each episode. So why don't you talk about sort of your history uh, with Tom Waits? Yeah, I mean, I started listening to Tom Waits in high school. I had heard his name, you know, or read his name in any number of things leading up to then. And then, you know, in high school when everyone's just trying to explore as much new stuff as they can, or at least that was my high school experience, Mm -hmm. listen to as much new stuff as you can. Uh, Tom Waits was just one of those guys who was on the list. And I worked my way through not all of the catalog, I would say. Worked my way... Well, actually, you know, for the most part, yeah. I mean, I missed a, a few records here and there. But I remember maybe whatever. I want to say that Mule Variations uh, came out maybe 99, 2000. Maybe 99, because I have a very distinct memory of going on uh, our yearly drama club field trip to California, where we saw a play at the Amundsen Theater. You're painting a picture, yeah. And also went to Disneyland, Uh and it's a long bus ride, Yeah. and you can only talk to your friends for so long. Yeah. And I remember I was like, I need to buy two records. I need two new records on, on the way out, and one of them that I bought was Ben Folds 5, the autobiography of Reinhold Messner. Is that the one with brick on it? Or no, no, no. That was whatever and ever, amen. This is the one Sounds that... Sounds like another episode for us. <laughs> but anyways, go on. What did that... Oh, Army, I guess, was the single, but it didn't do very well. Okay. Um, and, uh, and the other record I bought was Mule Variations, both of which came out, I think, at probably at exactly the same time. Um, and... So at that point, I had known enough to buy that. What? But I go ahead. But now, but now that I'm thinking about it, I may have started at the end and then worked back towards it from the beginning. Oh, like you, maybe you hadn't heard the early stuff at that time. I probably had heard a couple things. But you and, just thought of, you bought the new thing because you were like, "Oh, this guy has yeah. some cachet, whatever." Yeah. Now, like, um, can you tell? me a little bit more about what else you were sort of into like what brought you what made you think he was cool if you can I don't think that I thought he was cool I think that I thought that he was someone you should listen to if you wanted to know anything about American pop music why do you think that though I don't know I mean I just saw his name but as like a cool guy you know like a cool guy you should know about and so that for me that was enough and I was like okay well then I'm gonna learn about Tom Waits I know I took some of his records out of the library and stuff. Did you think, I mean, if you can think back, did you think at the time that he sounded to you like anything else? Like, did he come from somewhere or like evoke something else that you were sort of into? Well, you know, I probably after Mule Variations, which to me, I 
tried to get into it. I wasn't super into it. There was only a handful of songs that I genuinely liked and had any real desire to listen back to on that record initially. Um, I don't know. I was just like, it's weird. And I knew it was a big deal. He hadn't released a new record in a while. And so there was press around it. Um, and I probably read an article or maybe a review of it or something. Um, but I was just like, there's something there I should keep. It was, it was a very dutiful sort of way of looking about him, like a very kind of student-y way of, right. of approaching it. And so then I went back and like listened to Closing Time, and that feels much more familiar, you know, um, that like made sense as a singer-songwriter record. And I think I knew vaguely that like uh, the Eagles had covered Old 55 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... I think I dawdled around in those 70s records for a while, and then I found the Island records, and that was much more my speed. And what, is this all at the same time, or is this like years later? No, no, no. This like is like all, all at the same time. I definitely was like, it's time to learn about Tom Waits. And then, so because I had been into some more sort of out music, I guess you'd say, at the time, a lot of the sounds and the arrangements and the interesting instrumentation on... Those three records, um, uh, Rain Dogs, Swordfish Trombones, and Frank's Wild Years, those just sonically were a lot more my speed because they were interesting to listen to. Every song sounded different. They had tons of different, you know, interesting instruments. And then musicians, once in a while, that I recognized from elsewhere. Like Mark Rabot played on Rain Dogs. And for me, I was like, oh, okay, well, I've, I've heard Mark Rabot before. Sure, he's cool. Yeah, he's awesome. So then what happened then? Just look, like let's speed through. And then I was like, and then I was like, I was like, okay. So like, this is what I know about Tom Waits, and I'm a Tom Waits listener, and I would argue about him with my friends or whatever. And then I remember very specifically in college when I was a freshman, and I was like trying to like be friends with other comedy people, and where I went to college, there was like a guy who I thought was like super cool at the time. It turns out he was just two years older than me, and so and easy to mistake that, right? And everybody else in the in the comedy the comedy scene knew him. There were huge parties at his house, right? Yeah. I remember sitting around and it was like him and this other older dude um, who were talking about Tom Waits and I actually had opinions about it. But of course, like I was slapped down because I was 18 years old and yeah, precocious. Or 20. Because, yeah. So. And I think that at a certain, around then I started to be like, maybe I need to find something different to know about or to, to like show that I know about or whatever. Okay, so then over the years since then, have you had any um, sort of opportunities to re-engage with your uh, admiration or have you just kind of let it go? No, man. Like, for sure, I like at a certain point, I, I, I don't remember when. It must have been post-college. I was probably in grad school. I turned on, put on a Tom Waits record, and I was like, what the fuck am I listening to? Who is this rich man ranting about, like, you know, rusty tin cans? Right. Uh, what is this? What is going on? Um, I don't, I'm not on board anymore with, with this. And then I started to really enjoy, of course, the parody version of, of Tom Waits. Well, which we can all do. I mean, that's, that's kind of like a great pleasure that like he affords us all fans and non-fans alike. I'm surprised that there's no Tom Waits like lyric generator. I think, well, sure. Yeah. Cause it's so easy that anyone can do it at any moment. You just talk about, as you said, rusty tin cans. I ate nails for breakfast. A prostitute crying into her ham and eggs at the diner. I only had one oar in my boat on the high seas. Because you sold the other oar for a, a, a jug of whiskey. Which I'm now drinking. Which I'm drunk on, yeah. I'm drunk on now, yeah. I'm thinking about. So, okay, so let me get to my thing. So my thing is, like, basically I have, like, sort of two moments in, in my memory and then a more sort of vague thing. The, the first moment is I'm in high school and I'm um, sort of dabbling in a bunch of, you know, sort of scenes. Like, you know, whatever I'm allowed to go do, basically, I came from sort of a strict house in that, like, it was a curfew and I wasn't allowed to go out to shows or hang out with my friends too much. So I ended up sort of gravitating towards, like, a few things that I was able to do or sort of, like, you know, sneak out to go do a couple of things. Anyway, one of these scenes was, was uh, a place called the Hava Java. It was a coffee shop. Great name. Uh, it was right across the street from the only independent film theater in my community called the 19th Street Theater. So we would go to the films there, see the films, go across the street. It was a very, like, jazzbo scene at this coffee shop. Very sort of, like, 
stereotypical smoking clove cigarettes, kids with, you know, uh, notebooks where they're writing poetry, uh, open mic nights, slam poetry, all the things of that age. And Tom Waits was inevitably linked to that. And he would come up frequently and also be played on the stereo. And he was just sort of part of that scene. Now, as I said, this is sort of a compartmentalized part of my teenage years. So I'd sort of show up with some friends who were very ingrained in the scene. And I would kind of just nod along. This is not quite to the level of faking it that we've talked about before. All right. So to paint the picture, there's a party. There's a version of you, which I imagine looks exactly the same, but is one foot shorter. Yes. And... Like there's and smooth skin, smooth yeah. skin, yeah. no mustache, yeah. no. and there's just they're all listening to a guy who sounds like a monster screaming, and you're just like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, this is this seems right for what I'm looking at. You, some of you are actually wearing berets or pork pie hats. No. Oh, totally. No. This was like this was a real scene. Oh my god. Uh, it turned out later that like a a very talented young woman came out of this sort of. Partly out of this scene. In Is it Beyonce? It's not Beyonce. <laughs> and she became like a leader in, in the sort of like uh, poetry scene in New York. And in the sort of, not slam poetry, I'm not sure what they call it, but like performance poetry. Sure. And uh, I learned much more about that later on in, in my in my years. But at that time, it was like very generic. It was very cliche. It was like totally like a coffee shop, coffee shop scene. Poets were poeting. And I was faking it insofar as I was like, this is cool. I could do this. Mm-hmm. I'm like wearing a vest. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it. It's not, it's not a big of a deal. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't impressing anyone. I didn't like become the king of the scene or anything like that. So then years later, let's say like 20 years later, mm-hmm. I'm hanging out with a couple of actually mutual friends mm-hmm. um, who I'm going to try to not make fun of. But oh, um, it's fine. They're not here. It's fine. I mean, they're not here, but they might listen. Maybe they'll listen to this. Who knows? Anyways, uh, we uh, at this point in our lives, we all found ourselves single, and uh, we were drinking uh, too much, and hanging out at each other's houses, just listening to music, drinking, smoking, doing the whole thing that one does as a young, sort of semi-angry man. Uh, in any case, they're both huge fans of Tom Waits, and so Tom Waits would come onto the playlist at some point in the evening, and I would kind of grit my teeth because at that point it wasn't just that I didn't know anything about Tom Waits at the same time I thought Tom Waits was lame well it's a hard thing to listen to if you are not into it it's like yeah but I had to these are my friends and it was good times all around and I couldn't be like you know what let's skip this guys I don't like this guy at all I think he's kind of lame and then they'd be like but have you even listened to him and I would of course say no so what I did instead was I faked it insofar as I just kind of sat there and was like, yeah, this is pretty good. I was like, you know, interesting sort of like uh, horn arrangements going it on. It sounds like you're just you're just being very con- like condescending to your... Not condescending. You're being... Well, you're, agreeable you're, is one way of putting it. Pla- condescending is another. Not con- Maybe, placating. Placating your yeah, friends. Yeah, right? for sure. See, and, that's... I feel like I... That's we're very different in that, and that I would be like, we need to put on something new. I can't take it. Maybe eventually, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have done that. Not with these people. But what what this comes out of is is, a, is an uglier side of me, I think, which is that for I think the years in between, whenever Tom Waits came up, he was a point of fun. He was somebody who like I was hanging out with kids and adults who were like, this is you know ridiculous music that we all agree is silly, and I was like, of course we do. We all think this is dumb. Oh, so you don't even have... Okay, so you've occupied multiple positions around Tom Waits, none of which you actually legitimately... No, all based on ignorance. Right, and a a desire to fit into whatever group you're with. Tom Waits is just this sort of like empty slot for you. Yeah, whatever real opinions I had in any of those situations, Mm -hmm. whether I was in the sort of jazz cafe or like hanging out with like people who were too cool for Tom Waits... Or then later hanging out with like very close friends who were super into Tom Waits. I was just placating everybody and like from a complete place of ignorance. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I can play along with any of these scenes insofar as like I'm not invested in this music. But the reality of it is that I never listened to it at all. Like, right. I, like I heard it, of course, I could do, you know, I can do it now, probably not as well as some, but I could do the kind of fake Tom Waits mm-hmm. Rusty, I'm like I had rusty nails for breakfast. It's taking everything I have to stop yourself from doing from it. doing the the real sort of Tom Waits the bellow. You mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if these we mics can even. I don't no. know if we should. Maybe no. in the second half. Okay. Um. 
I mean, my point here is that I'm, I'm actually kind of interested for the first time. I mean, maybe what I'll end up with is actually I have a, I have a close friend who we share a ton of music interest in, in common and rarely get into areas where I don't understand or like actively dislike something that he likes. And Tom Waits came up recently and I was like, what do you think about Tom Waits? And he's like, oh, I was a huge fan of Tom Waits for years and I still revisit him now and again. And I was like, oh, like what, what is, what is there to like there? I've always thought it was like this kind of cliche jazz bow. But that's not even true. Cause like, did you ever even really think he was a certain uh, thing? I mean, I think I knew enough at that point, especially, I mean, especially at this point, like I've, you know, we talked about, and we'll get into like the sort of like the Jim Jarmusch connection. Like there are like. And, and I kind of said that was something that was really appealing to me because uh, like Jim Jarmusch was for me like an early like getting into American independent cinema, like Jim, Jar- I mean, Jim Jarmusch was huge. And John Lurie, who right. he was, first of all, Tom Waits is on Fishing with John, yeah. which was like completely revelatory yeah. for me. And then also the Lounge Lizards record, Queen of All Ears, when that came out, was, ju- I just like blew my head off. I thought it was incredible. All three of those Things, those like cultural moments were things that I'm far more familiar with or became familiar with over the years. And so those were moments where like Tom Waits would re-enter the conversation in some way or like re-enter my head and I'd be like, ah, how is he related to this? And that's why this conversation with a friend recently where I was like, all right, like open me up to it. Like tell me what to listen to. What is there to do here? And his response was interesting. It was like, Oh, you might, like, I could do that, and you might still think, or even think that this is even sillier than you thought this was before. Like, I'm fully, like he was saying, I'm fully open to your, to anyone's idea that, like, Tom Waits is kind of cheesy, or kind of cliche, or or at least building into these cliches. Now, I think that what we want to talk about probably next time, and that what I aim to do in listening to a lot of Tom Waits and, like, kind of reading about him a little bit, and then us talking about him is, like, well, not only why would I lie, like, why would I care enough to have a position on this person? Why wouldn't I just be like, man, I'm not really that into him. Let's like, yeah. you guys do this. Or like when the cool kids are like, Tom Waits sucks. I could be like, man, I don't really have a dog in this race. Right. Or, you know, why did I also, why did I ask my friend, like, turn me on to this? Like, tell me what there is here. There is something like there where I'm like, why is this guy... A thing. I think part of that is uh, he's uh, not just dispensable. Like he's not just like a no, silly thing that I can be like, oh, that sucks. No, I mean, in in like talking about doing this episode more, I started to look back and think more, and that was part of me telling you, uh, like I did when we were initially discussing how like how you would listen and what you would listen to. I had initially been like, oh, well, here's this list of songs that Tom Tom Waits made mm-hmm. that he thinks are his most, you know, yeah. distills what he is. But then I and I was like, why don't you just listen to that? And then I was like, actually, that's bad. You should listen to his records. Like he's really an artist to understand through records, not through songs. He makes he's just one of those guys who listening to him chronologically is kind of the best way to do it. Though not every record, but understanding him in periods and in complete records, I think makes more sense. But he is one of those guys who is that divisive yeah. um, because I feel like there's you. Whether you know it or not, you're taking a risk in saying that you like him if you like him. Because some people think that he's so silly that they will actually think less of you for being like, I'm a Tom Waits guy. Well, I'm saying, like, I kind of did. And it was from a place of ignorance, but, like, that's kind of what we're doing all the time. But, like, what I'll say about that is that, like, I think it's, like, it's the affectations that I really, like, rejected from my first sort of, like, entree into, like, who he was and what he represented and who liked him throughout and then but now it's kind of like we're all a little older like nobody's like putting on a pose liking tom waits like he's still doing a performance like it's always a performance with him and maybe that's the thing that i was always uncomfortable with like sort of looking for authenticity looking for something more than the pork pie hat and the like you know the the little and this is where our conversation is next time is going to get super sort of like infinitely regressive Mm -hmm. and loopy because the thing that i want to talk about with you next time is how you draw the distinction between pose and performance and i think that tom waits is one of those guys who really walks that line yeah and i think that's at least for me and this is like a preview of what i want to talk about next time like that's kind of like for me the lesson 
over 20 years or however long it's been of listening right. to Tom Waits, that's like the kind of lesson of Tom Waits is what that distinction is about. Well, and what I'm interested in is like how many or, or which particular, and we'll get into this, like which particular artists I've always loved or like, and who are extremely performative, extremely like cliche in these ways, like embrace those things in the way that Tom Waits does, but they just make sort of different sounding things. Um, and I think we'll get into that. But like, I am interested in like why this, why this made me uncomfortable or made me feel like I didn't want to be part of it. And now like, what I could do with it. All right. I might end up hating it. That's a lot on our plates for next time. We're going to get to it. It's heady stuff. Gabe is going to spend the next week listening to Tom Waits. Pray for me, listeners. Uh, Yeah, he may not come out. This may be a solo show by this time next week. Or I could just come out with a a gravelly voice. Sorry. Or it's just like, sorry, guys, Gabe's on a barge somewhere. Living Uh, on a barge. Yeah, living on a barge. Yeah. Um, Eating seal meat. I don't know. Um, Okay, so... Gabe's going to listen, I'm going to re-listen, and we will be back in just a minute to discuss Tom Waits. All right. So long. Hey, Mark. Hi, Gabe. We're back. We're back. Uh, I listened to a lot of Tom Waits. Uh, I listened to some Tom Waits. It's been longer than a week. It's been a lot longer than we. And I can't say I filled all of that time listening to Tom Waits. That would be insane, uh-huh. uh, and maybe uh, uh, sort of against uh, what I learned listening to Tom Waits, which would uh, not lead me to listen to him all the time. But uh, let me let me talk about it a little bit. Um, much of my early listening was sort of an endless Spotify playlist, sort of meandering throughout his career. Um, and then um, I got kind of sick of that because it was it's all over the place. It's not all over the place. It's always him, of mm-hmm. course. But um, I started listening from the beginning, as you had recommended and as other people do. And I found myself very charmed by the early work, actually. Um, it's a little like, it's not my favorite sort of like folk rock 70s, you know, a little like hard-boiled kind of mood. Um, but then the Asylum records, I really, I really kind of dug. Um, I don't know that I'll listen to them a lot moving forward but I feel like I came to an understanding then I started listening to the later stuff and I really I, I appreciate the interesting musical things happening uh-huh. but I felt like it was a lot of that kind of like over overwrought uh, kind of um, just his 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 his, his, um, his his bit like his his kind of spiel yeah I got sick of it and I was not I wasn't invested enough in him probably just because of not listening to him a lot to sort of follow along so I kind of petered out at a certain point and I stopped listening I it's hard to make it all the way through except, like, except for here and there when you know? listen to like the stuff from like bone machine on forward mm-hmm. that just listen to those things one after another is it was a lot and it was like it was hard to get through I had to take some breaks um, and I just didn't it, it didn't connect with me. Um, and there's a reason for that that I think does sort of get to what we're talking about here. And uh, something I wanted to want to mention early because you use this phrase "pose and performance," and I think that's going to kind of color a lot of what I'm going to talk about, both having to do with music and with my own reaction to it through the years and also now. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's funny. I read, I did a, a fair amount of reading, and. Um, there have been some recent things because they reissued all the Asylum records. People wrote about that. And a lot of these people are obviously fans. But it's funny, when they talk about him, they also can't escape the cliche that is Tom Waits. And part of, you know, reckoning with that is, like, you know, I asked, I think, uh, you know, in the in the first part of this, kind of, like, why is this interesting? Like, why are people into it? Like, what's the deal? And then the deal is that, like, he just became canon at some point. He became, Tom Waits became part of the culture that was undeniable. And there wasn't a kind of, there wasn't a need to sort of figure out whether he deserved it or not. I think it's just that people were like, oh yeah, he's like, he's part of what our musical landscape is like. He's part of American music, American popular music, traditional music. He's um, just had like, <clears throat> he's mythologized, you know, in, in a number of different ways, both his own mythology and then the place he had in California and, and with and, and all of that stuff, right? He's he has he's he's ensconced. Mm-hmm. There's kind of no way to delete him. 
Yeah, I mean, so this is a quote from one of the articles. There was like, Tom Waits exists in a world populated only by freight trains and barmaids, rodeo clowns, and shortwave radios. Mm -hmm. And it's like, anyone could write that, and I could have written that having never really listened to or invested myself in Tom Waits because it's so on the surface. Yeah. It's just what it is. And then, um, you know, I read an interview with him from about a decade ago, and he plays the part also. He does, like, doesn't disappoint. I mean, he talked about... You know how he how he haunts junkyards and looks for old time violins. And let's can we just with, pause with horns for amplica amplification? Can we just pause? Wait, for, can I just one second? Okay, his favorite sound is quote bacon in a frying pan. Sure, sure. Uh, Tom, all right. So <laughs> you're telling me that Tom Waits, who's not superstar famous but certainly recognizable, yes, is going to fucking junkyards. Yes. Haunting junkyards. Not just going to junkyards, lingering around junkyards. Yeah. First of all, can you even do that? Do they even Lord, let you do that? Loitering in the junkyard. Well, he's Tom Waits. So they're like, oh, you're in your natural environment. Right. Of course, welcome. I'm glad you're here. You're lending my junkyard legitimacy. Right. I didn't even know it was a junkyard until you showed up, Tom yeah. Waits. Thank you. Yeah. For the stamp of approval. He Take shows a photo up. photo to put outside my junkyard so people know that it's a junkyard. He shows up at junkyard openings and, like, cuts the ribbon with a rusty pair of scissors. Right. Um... And you know the interview said the interviewer said something like, there's a wonderful this is I just think this is funny there's a rich and wonderful American history of tough scrappy songwriters everyone from Ramblin' Jack Elliot to Bob Dylan which is like the same that's the same <laughs> it's thing like twelve years it's between like, them also like they're the same thing like, yeah they're like they're, they like influence each other but that sort of opened me up to like oh like that's where this sort of like Greenwich Village folk scene like Waits is kind of mining that a little bit for yeah. his material and kind of where he's coming from and it makes sense I mean when I talked about when I like kind of came to him the first time it was at this like coffee shop with like you know dudes with terrible goatees and right, right. and and uh, very into their okay so have you just like so alright so you spent some time listening to this music actually listening to it sitting down and in as unbiased a manner as you can listening to it and now from what I'm hearing you learned nothing. It's not that I learned nothing. I think I did make some connections and the connections that I made were to some stuff that I've been like maybe, you know, uh, I've said before and I do think it's true. Like I try to be as open listening to music as I possibly can. I want to sort of understand a little bit about anything, even if I don't like it, but there is a kind of a thread of music and it's interesting that Tom Waits is part of this because I don't think I considered him part of it previously, but now I do, where like it's a genre I've maybe, you know, I've to myself referred to as sort of joke rock or like kind mm -hmm. of like silly rock where it's like Warren Zevon or mm -hmm. um, uh, Luton Wainwright, um, Randy Newman a little bit. Would you put Steely, like. would you put Steely Dan in there? I mean, yes, although I'm a huge Steely Dan fan. So mm -hmm. like, I don't know that they're not like, their their songs aren't in themselves jokes. Well, let's say this, and I and and I would collapse Frank Zappa into mm -hmm. this as yes. well. Yeah, yeah. Like artists who think that what they do is on some level stupid, mm -hmm. and that contempt for their own practice, and by extension, the people who listen to it, um, is actually a part of the music itself. Well, it's also just that the American sort of rock vernacular has room in it for humor mm -hmm. or sort of the comic mm -hmm. um but i don't think that i don't think that tom waits belongs in quite that he's well i was interested to learn that like several of these artists like zivon and uh wainwright were on they were also on asylum records a lot of people were on asylum too yeah. were not jokey um but then the mothers of invention were like you said i don't know if you said this in the last time but like the same their manager or like their somebody related to them was who yeah. discovered yeah. tom waits in the first place i think we had talked about that so like there yeah, is after, there are yeah. threads connecting all of these different people even if their music is very different and some of these people I, like i said like i like randy newman although it took me a while to kind of come around to him he does have a bunch of songs that are just jokes yeah or like john prine someone who i adore yeah and he's got like very jokey songs yeah um, but I think that's part of being like that kind of, I don't know, there, there's part of being a prolific songwriter, yeah. which means you're just going to toss off some joke songs because you're just having of. fun. But there's something different about being like, the joke is what I, the joke is this, the joke is what I'm doing. Right. And I'm not saying that Tom Waits is doing a bit and mm -hmm. it's not a joke per se, although like some of his songs definitely do like 
dive deep into like a pretty comical yeah like the most the best example probably is the piano has been drinking You know, like, it's played for laughs. It's kind of this, like, alcoholics comedy routine Mm -hmm. thing. Um, It's got a serious side because it is about, like, the disease of alcoholism. But, like, it's this, it's a joke. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a gag. And, like, you know, I think that, um, who else did I, oh, the other person I found who was on Asylum was this guy Dennis Lind, or Lindy, I don't know, I can't remember how you say it, who is most famous for having written Burn in Love. Of the Elvis song. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's got also this weird... He's just a weird artist. Mm-hmm. Like, his songs are, like, these weird kind of bits in some cases, but also, like, they can be tender or or just, like, you know, serious or whatever. Uh, he's also on Asylum. And then, like, the last person I'll mention, and this is more, I think, where I find Tom Waits to fall on this sort of, like, spectrum, is Leon Redbone. Not, uh-huh. a, cool, not a cool artist. No. By any stretch. Uh, was played in my house a little bit when I was growing up, and I was always like... Guy's a funny voice, and then later was like, "This guy's super annoying." Um, but he has a he has an act. But like, like, what separates them from like guys like Dan Fogelberg, who like, you know, they write satirical songs. Right. And while there's a satirical edge, yeah. to pretty much. Or Zevon is like the same satirical well, kind of, but like, well, Dan Fogelberg was like topical, right? Um, right. I don't like that. No, I, I hate that. Yeah. I can't stand it. And I don't know if it's just because I wasn't around at the time, but I feel like if someone now... I will say, you know, I saw... I don't know if it was a Facebook post or on Twitter, but um, Matthew Perpetua, the writer, mm-hmm. said something that really resonated with me, which was that um, it was during the Bush era, right? It was not cool, and bands were penalized for doing overtly like indie bands were penalized for doing overtly political material it was seen as like uncool and now that's not the case at all it was a holdover from the 90s yeah 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 yeah. right when of course we probably all could have used it it was the 90s but it was a holdover from the early 90s yeah yeah yeah. like um nothing matters and uh i don't know i i feel like there there's something like that got lost. And Tom mm-hmm. Waits obviously was never topical in that way, mm-hmm. right? Because he was sort of always out of time. Yeah. Um, and he was never satirical in the way... So he wasn't satirical in the way that sort of like polit- like music that's critical, politi- like that has a political critique to it, can be satirical. Right. Phil and Oaks. He, right. Yeah, yikes. Um, and he's not satirical in the way that um, like... Um, like in that cynical way that like Steely Dan mm-hmm. sort of is, or that Frank Zappa was. Um, we're, you're rolling your eyes. I'm rolling them as well. Um, uh, he just doesn't have that in him, no. right? He's self-aware, but not so much that he can kind of offer ironic distance within his music about his music. Yeah, and it's played with a kind of knowingness, but it's not played for laughs. And I think that it's part of it is that it it embraces these kind of musical styles that are kind of carnival-y, carny, kind of like... Carny music. Carny music, (laughs) like, you know, uh, carousel music. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mentioned this to you over, like, a message where, like, uh, more contemporary bands like Man Man or Go Go Bordello were very different. I gotta gotta step in. Uh, Ryan Katner, friend of the show. I can't, I can't let I can't let the I can't let that stand. No, but they're interested in some, and they're interested in a vernacular that that is a kind of traditionalist. Like in Gogo Bordello's case, it's like kind of Eastern European mm-hmm. vernacular, but it's sort of merged with like there is this kind of vaudevillian uh, carnival, not carnivalesque because it's the wrong term, but like mm-hmm. carnival like. Mm-hmm. sounds like you know the calliope or yeah. like just weird you know banging on a tin can like yeah. just like the weird off-kilterness that tom waits definitely embraces mm-hmm. and i think that that's what um to bring in one more thing and i'm not going to try to get too referential about other artists i think i mentioned all the most of the ones that i want to talk about but like um he um uh where was i going with this well one the, it's like um the 
The fact that he dovetails with Bruce Springsteen, I think it's very interesting. So he writes Jersey Girl. Right. Which is a totally serious song. Yeah. I hate his version of it. I love Bruce Springsteen's version of yeah, it. Yeah, his version of it. Like, the original sucks. Yeah. It's, Bruce Springsteen's it's, version is amazing. And what is the difference? Like, not that much. Like, it's the same. It's an earnest song. Uh, but something about his delivery always is this, is this way. Well, when he it's gets stick, it's you know? well, that is like his schmaltz. Yeah, like yes, that, right. And that's what makes his version of Jersey Girl or his. Ver- I mean, that's what makes the yeah. original Jersey Girl something like I don't know, where it's just like it's just sappy and saccharine. But when Springsteen sings it, I mean, that's just part of his gift as a as a singer that right. you know it conveys actual yearning. Well, and I think that this this ties into something that I want to get to, which is that I, I have this like distinct memory of in my 20s, as those in their 20s are wont to do, I sort of came up with my theories of like what was, what, what culture was, you know, in particular about rock music. And mm-hmm. I was like, and not just rock music, but like soul music and like all of popular music. And I was like, it's either crazy or scary <laughs> Or holy. Those are like the three divisions that I had for like various types of music. So you could just put everything on, they would like be somewhere on that tripartite. Right. So if you think about like the blues, like the blues like does all three. Yeah. Or like jazz can do all three. Yeah. Or like, and rock can certainly do all three. Yeah. Uh, and it was more like my judgment about like those are the valid forms of popular music. Mm-hmm. Um, or like country can do all three mm-hmm. even. It's funny to me that like, Funny is nowhere on well, that list. That's my point. Yeah, that funny has no like not crazy, scary, and holy. None of those things are funny. Uh, like, like not to me anyway. And that was kind of the point was mm-hmm. that it's like you are having a transformative experience. This is my sort of like this right. is like the myth of rock music, right? But like right. from the, from if, the mind of a very self serious twenty something. Yeah, who read yeah. a lot of Lester Banks. Like, yeah. what if what if um. What if the whole point of rock music was catharsis and extreme emotional experience? Right. Well, then, like, having a joke song doesn't really fit into that. It's right. just kind of like, oh, you have a laugh. Or, like, and having this kind of overly overdetermined performance that I think Waits has, that's, I think, why I never connected with right. him before. But, of course, like, now, in retrospect, hopefully you can recognize that, like, you can't have any of those kinds of music you just mentioned without humor. Right, of right. I mean, yeah, like that's true. If you listen to any of those sort of old blues compendiums, like half of the songs fall somewhere on those in those three areas, yeah. and half of them are just funny sex jokes. Yeah, they, t- they just they tell joke after joke. Yeah, and I think that as I said, I've like over the past probably decade and a half, I've gotten into like Randy Newman, like John Prine. I was always into like there. I have room for this like this mood of like a little bit unserious. Uh, Music making. Um, I think that, you know, Bruce Springsteen doesn't have a ton of humor. He's pretty earnest. But there's a couple jokes there's here There's definitely there. some moments where... But he's not doing a bit. Like, he's no. not... He's not... He's not... He's not Im- embodying a character. No, he's and an authentic least, well, no. New Jerseyan who definitely got that accent from growing up in New Jersey. Right? You all know a lot of Jerseyans right. that... Yeah. Sound like this, right? But there's there's something to be said for the 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 myth of authenticity. But then there's also like Tom Waits, who's like he's inventing something, right? Like he's inventing his own story of America or of American music or American culture, mm-hmm. and it's out of other things, but it does nothing to do with reality. Yeah, sure. um, not even intentionally. I think I think he wants to create a world of his own, well, and that to me also I think was like a little bit off-putting mm-hmm. and and the, the very last uh, musical connection or, or or reference that i'll put down is actually to the grateful dead a band that i think was extremely interested in american vernacular music and then invented their own for better or for worse idea of this thing we can debate that at some other time but yeah. but i i've also because i've also gotten more into them because i think that they do interesting things with it but they do invent a whole world that then becomes like really gets carried away with itself yeah tom waits does the same thing and for some reason i'm just like unable to enter into it there's something about so i think one of the reasons that at the end of the last segment i had mentioned post and performance is because 
while I find that a lot of his later stuff is samey, the thing that's really telling is how often he goes back to opera. Mm. Um, and how a lot of that material is produ- is written to be performed theatrically, right? Yeah. Like Alice, I believe, was. Uh-huh. Um, Bone Machine? No, 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 not Bone Machine. Ugh. There was a bunch of later... There was a bunch of... A bunch of records he did were, were meant to be librettos. Um, or he wrote the... He, he wrote the lyrics of the libretto, wrote the music to, or whatever. Something. Okay, okay. No, 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 not the libretto. He wrote the music, someone else wrote the libretto. Okay. Um, and, um... So there's something about that that sort of, like, retrospectively illuminates a lot of what he was doing. Like, with Big Time, his concert film, it's quite theatrical, even though it's not quite theater, mm-hmm. right? So I'm wondering how much of that later Tom Waits sort of illuminates the earlier stuff. Because obviously, if you're just going to listen to his first handful of records, you're not going to go, like, ah, that's a man who's interested in, like, sort of, you know, the tradition of the theater. And a particularly European sort of version of, right. of the theater, well, maybe like Three Penny Opera or something. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, like that, I can see that very vividly in yeah. his music. Um, yeah, interesting. I, that, that's stuff that I'm not like super into, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, not who would be, but uh, some people are. But um, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't rub me the wrong way. Yeah. And I think that vaudeville is another influence on him. And like all that, it's all theatrical. Yeah. And I think that it makes sense that he would want to, you listen to the Asylum records and yeah, there's some just like rock tunes or like sort of folk rock tunes that are there. And then other times he's clearly writing a chapter in some larger thing yeah. that maybe he doesn't know what it is, but eventually he gets around to sort of creating whole worlds, creating whole, you know, arcs. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, um, it's not for me, <laughs> um, but I do think that, you know, there's, some great songwriting in the early years. And I think that I'm just like less harsh on that, even though I recognize it even more, mm-hmm. I'm a little less harshly judgmental about that kind of pose, that kind of like inventing a, a, a rock operatic universe. Uh, and I can see the appeal. It's extremely appealing to have somebody like that you can immerse yourself in, in that way. I think with the exception of David Bowie, I've never really been into artists who do that. Me like, love. Yeah, not a not a huge Meatloaf fan. Like I don't like the Who of Tommy. Right. Uh, like I can't listen to Tommy. Mm-hmm. I don't like musicals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's just something about that kind of like okay. that particular form of world making. Yeah. In music. Yeah. That the bugs wall. me. The wall. Yeah. Uh, for sure. The wall. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also, it's interesting, right? Because Tom Waits kind of defies that bloated record industry thing that does... Self-important. That self-importance that does define a lot of what rock opera means to us now. Mm -hmm. It means, like, prog rock. It means, like, Emerson, Lincoln Palmer. It means Meatloaf. Like, uh, not to poo-poo any of those artists, but just, like, they're creating those worlds seems like an act of self-indulgence. Whereas for Tom Waits, it seems natural. It seems like the only thing he can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like the only thing he was really interested in doing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, to sort of, to sort of start to approach, like, why did I fake it? And I think in this case, like, I didn't really fake it in the same way that I have in previous or future episodes. You just where, didn't like, have an opinion. Well, I didn't really like just lie outright to somebody and be like, I know all about that. And then I didn't. <laughs> I kind of just sort of played along and didn't really make waves, even though I had a very strong distaste for this artist um, that I knew nothing about. I think that I mean, the easiest or the simplest thing is just laziness. But then th- there is this thing about this kind of like discomfort with the comical and the like overly, the overwrought kind of persona, the overwrought kind of uh, every every line is is so intentionally his character doing this thing. Yeah. And, um, and I think all along I was like, you know, that's just not something I can really like get, get through to. It doesn't get through to me. Um, but what's interesting is that, you know, a handful of people that I know have gotten either re-engaged with, with this music, um, be that Warren Zevon or Randy Newman or, 
Tom Waits, not that they're all the same thing again, but like that they do, they're in this sort of category that I've invented for myself that I'm like against yeah, or, or that I feel uncomfortable with. And a bunch of people that I know have gotten sort of a renewed zest for this music and are finding like what's great about it. And I think that probably it's my discomfort that it like caused me to kind of check out of it and be like, well, I don't, I don't want to define myself in contrast to this thing and in contrast to the people that I care about. And it's really a social thing because in every interaction it was more, it was about friendship. It was like, do I want to kind of bust up this, this like little nice little love fest for Tom Waits? Like, no, of course not. All of that stuff, all of that stuff seemed like, like, A, it seemed like old man music. Mm -hmm. Tom Waits didn't quite feel like that, but now that you are talking about it in this context, maybe it does. Well, what's interesting, right, is that he's a contemporary with all those people. No, yeah. So, like, Randy Newman, I mean, go back 10 or 15 years, Randy Newman was the uncoolest thing for any, you know, fan of, like, pop and rock and, and cool music. Any kind of music. It's still not cool. We're just getting older. True. I like. I honestly think there's just something inherently old about that music. I mean, Maybe. it's it's music that started jaded. Yeah. It's music that right. never. I mean, not, and not all yeah. of it. Sure. Blah 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 blah. But mm-hmm. you know, I just think that there's and it's music where people like just appreciate the craft and the wit. Right. And like. You know, that music makes me feel nothing. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, so this came up uh, in, a, in a slightly different way. Recently, I was hanging out with some friends and listening to some music, and there was a debate about whether or not Tom, um, Tom Petty was worth listening to. Um, and I don't really have a strong opinion about that. I like some Tom Petty songs. I, I don't like others. I think he definitely has a bit of this DNA that's like a little bit silly sometimes, a little bit in the comical or kind of over overdetermined uh, play acting or, or, or character driven. Yeah. And I know that he music. said that a lot of his sort of songs that are, you know, a lot of his hits that are taken as kind of meant sincerely are he has cl- had claimed were actually really not meant to be serious in that way, right? right? Or that they weren't sincere, or they were parodic or or satirical in some way. But fuck it, I don't care. Like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, is it worth it to listen to Tom Petty? I don't even know what that question means. Like, Well, I think, I think of it more, I mean, at least in my head, what I was thinking about was like this very simplistic thing where like, Tom Petty doesn't exist without the birds. The birds take themselves extremely seriously, even when they're being absolutely silly. They don't, they didn't know it or they weren't, maybe it was the time or whatever. Oh yeah. Whereas I think Tom Petty is like older and wiser and time moves forward and different forms of kind of, uh, appreciation of the ridiculousness of, of feelings and culture and everything comes through his music more than it does the birds. So it's like, you look at the birds and they're like super serious about their craft and about music and about their message. Tom Petty's a little more loose with it. He's a little more like, sometimes I'm telling a joke. Sometimes I have a line that's like just a good line, but it's kind of a throwaway. Yeah. Um, And I think that, you know, it is about like, (laughs) this is about aging, which is maybe another that's also what our podcast is about. I mean, who knows? No, like no, when, I, when I think about the bird and like that that particular yeah. kind of like late sixties, early seventies rock self seriousness, it's also like these dudes were twenty three, and someone yeah. just backed a dump truck full of money onto them. Yeah. Like of and course, and they were the coolest. All of a sudden, they were the coolest people in the whole universe. And of course, like if someone did that to me at that age, like it would have taken far far less for me to think that what I was doing was capital I important. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I think what I think is that I have I am imbibed that that the sense that that self-seriousness not to the point of Tommy or or the wall, mm-hmm. but to the point of just like rock music being, you know, crazy scary or holy like it's just serious. Like yeah. it's like a serious yeah. endeavor and we all need to take it seriously. And please stop dancing to it for God's sake. Well, and this is very much like this like Lester Bangs thing where it's like, you know, I read a lot of him and I was I was a music critic for a few years mm-hmm. and like he was my, you know, saint and he took it extremely seriously and he to my mind like he was a funny guy and a funny writer but he had no room for like just jokes 
or like an unserious no kind of like everything was cathartic everything was like a big deal yeah even the silliest dumbest songs actually had a grand import because they were like this visceral teenage rock and roll message yeah. yeah so i think that i carried that along with me for a really long time and that was the post it was like even when i was in high school and i went to these cafes and they were listening to this stuff i was like this isn't for me this is like too like it's like too intentional. It's too like character driven. It's not enough like rawness. Yeah. That I somehow at that even at that age thought was like what cool meant. And then later when I think people were like would drag Tom Waits and like you know cool kids or whatever, I'd be like yeah totally because I'm also not into that because I'm into like self serious you know cathartic rock music. Yeah. I think, I think finally as I like become an old person, yeah, I am totally like it doesn't really matter that much. Like, if the song's good, the song's good. Mm-hmm. I don't, I still don't particularly like, like, songs that are just, like, funny. Yeah. Or a satire that's not also kind of biting. Yeah. Um, I mean, you think about, like, if you think about Dylan, like, Dylan's got lots of, like, kind of, like, not silly, certainly, but, like, he's using humor a lot. And the comic. Yeah, of course. Sure. But he's also extraordinarily ser- self-serious. Yeah. And extraordinarily, like, possessed of himself. Maybe maybe that, more so than than anyone ever, right? Perhaps in history. Well, and what's interesting is to think about if Tom Waits, you know, is influenced by Dylan, which I think he is. But what he takes from it is that kind of like you invent a world, which Dylan did too, and then you just like you just live there. And yeah, you just like keep creating it, keep building it out. Yeah, and that's what that's what your art is. It's funny because if someone told me that that's what an artist's attitude. Like a like a, a painter or a sculptor uh, or whatever their attitude towards their work was, I would be like, of course, like that makes sense. That's what artists have to do to create. When someone tells me a musician does that, I for some reason get really prickly. I don't right. know why. But then, why did Tom Waits appeal to you? I don't know. Even like, though I, he sort of, he well, definitely embraces this. It. I mean, he appealed to me for a time and then didn't. Right. But even well, okay. I mean, I'm okay. That's fine. Fair enough. Um. I mean, I think what's interesting. Having having listened to a lot of it and having, you know, really enjoyed some of the earlier stuff through a certain moment. And I think that the moment that it happens is the moment that, like, people do kind of, like, keep going or they don't keep going. Mm-hmm. And they keep going because they love that world that yeah. he's creating and constantly creating and inhabiting. And then he's kind of exploring different aspects of it. It's not just a kind of... The early years are, like, broke down, motel room... Strip club, barfly stuff, and then it gets more into like the sort of nautical, rusty, <laughs> rusty knots, like you know, like, like rusty scupper. Yeah, like five, like an album ago, you were singing about like old Harry down at the diner, and like now you're singing about some guy who like fled the Philippines because he shot his brother-in-law. Like that's much different. Yeah. And I think that that was a, that was an interesting thing to experience was like, oh, like I'm willing to go this far with him, which is not that far. And but it's like a, a number of albums that, yeah. of material that I think is totally fun. Yeah. And then like later, it's just like it's too much the Tom Waits show for yeah. me. And that's just like my taste. And it's not even it's just about him. And I think I, I, I would not say that about anyone who like tries to create a universe and inhabit it. It's just that his universe in particular feels just, it's not my, it's not my, it's not my cup of tea. Okay. Well, we've managed to talk for the better part of an hour about an artist that neither of us has strong feelings about. It's true. It's compelling stuff. I, I sure hope so. Right. Um, but I do, I mean, I do think that to get back to like the theme of this podcast, it, which is like faking it, which is what's interesting here is, you know, Tom Waits is like his whole career is kind of like this pose. Um, he really embraces that. He, he embodies all these different characters that he creates that are like, could, he could only create after a certain point anyway. And they become synonymous with him. They're his world, his sure. universe. And to be a fan of his, you have to like want that and need that. And, and after like everybody that. on the outside, it just seems completely ridiculous. Yeah. And I think that like, it's like, I think the nearest equivalent, this just occurred to me, but I think it's true. I think the nearest equivalent is like when someone is into cosplay. And then I'm not, so mm-hmm. I don't really get that. Yeah. I don't get the appeal. I'm not saying it's bad or no, you just but you just want it and you want more and more of it. I guess, but yeah. I, I I'm just like God bless. Yeah. 
That makes zero sense to me, yeah. but like you're not hurting anybody, so yeah. go for it. Yeah. I mean, I, what I wonder about or what I wondered about while I was listening to a ton of Tom Waits was like, what kind of a, what is that, what itch does that scratch? You know, like this, this version of, this version of reality, but really this version of America. And maybe that's the thing that like, I kind of rejected was like, that's not an America that I'm particularly interested in of like, you know, abandoned railroad tracks and like. I mean, I just, I mean, like, it's just like a serious, it's just like a sort of vocabulary that doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. Mm -hmm. Like, it just doesn't. Mm -hmm. I like, and, and, and. Well, I wonder, I mean, I wonder, and this is, again, like, I did come to an appreciation of Tom Waits, but I wonder, to me, it does feel this kind of almost like a dead end of something that sort of came about in like post-war jazz culture and beatnik culture this kind of appreciation for, you know, the low lives. You know, I was the, talking and about the, and the and the left behind people and the and the and you know what I mean. Like, I, I mean, I, I know. It almost goes back to maybe the Great Depression. I know that, that a kind of like lionization of like Great Depression era, kind of like white. Yeah, poverty. but you think about that and you think about it as having some kind of relationship to music with a social conscience, mm-hmm. and that's certainly something that Tom waits. I mean, maybe it does in some sense, yeah. but it's really just sort of mining tragedy from individual circumstance, and there's a certain kind of, like, writerly virtue to his ability to draw those character sketches and stuff, but, like, no, it's not writing that inhabits this... I mean, maybe that's the stakes, right? It's not writing... In choosing... In making the choices he's made, he chooses not to inhabit the social world in which any of that stuff actually exists. Right. And I don't mean inhabit really. I mean inhabit artistically. Yeah. And so it's just really hard to take any of that shit seriously. Well, right. Because, I mean, what I was saying was, like, it is... I mean, I think it is, like, a a, a fairly white narrative. It's, like, a, it, it's like white poverty. It's It's, like... There's something, de- but there's something deracinated about his approach to it. It's not about white people, it, but it, it, but it's like I, I can't sort of differentiate that his invented world, and it gets more and more sort of ornate and uh, imaginary as he goes on. But like at least in that sort of middle period, it's like a 20th century that doesn't involve social movements, that doesn't involve. Great upheaval. No, I mean and, because he and, deals with dropouts and outlaws and yeah. people on the outside of society, yeah. but there is no outside of society. Right. And so that's the thing to me, like that fantasy of there's this sort of counterworld where all in this demimond where, you know, the rules aren't like I just can't buy into that. Like and because you have to and it's not that he's I know that it's not hundred percent serious, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But there's something to me that just like I can't I can't make it there. I can't go there. I'm not interested in that kind of fantasizing. I'm not interested in that kind of romanticization. It just seems to me impossible to do right now. And maybe that's a personal thing. I don't Mm. know. Mm -hmm. But like, Mm. it's, and maybe this is just my sort of narrative of getting older, where it's just like, I actually don't think that like hobo characters are fucking funny anymore. Right. Um, Well, or at least like the way that, Certainly the way that Waits deals with the kind of hobo character, to my mind, is a little... It's one-dimensional. It's like... It, I mean, while while listening to his music, I thought of two books that I've read, and there's like a whole genre of this kind of work, and a lot of the beatnik stuff is about this, too. Like, sort of just, like, outsiders, like, folks who are on the, on the, on the margins. But the two books I thought of were Fat City, mm-hmm. and the other one is uh, this book by Don Carpenter called Hard Rain. I don't know those books. And they're both about, like... Um, I think Fat City's about the West Coast, but they're both basically about like, uh, like poor sort of rambling white dudes who are like Fat City's about boxing, um, I believe. If I'm unless I'm mixing them up, and Hard Rain I think has a lot to do with um, pool playing. Mm-hmm. And they're these like they're like people who like came back from the war and they're like clearly PTSD, but they didn't have a word for that then, and they like just get into bar fights and they like seduce women and then kind of beat them up and then abandon them and they're just kind of floating around. Anyway, the the point is that the, those books I actually quite like both of them, but they they have a feeling that there is an outside world that like exists. Yeah. That these people are maybe in opposition to and maybe they're not dealing with it all the time, but it's kind of it's either like collapsing in on them or it's like it's like sort of 
you know, just vibrating outside of their, their worlds. Whereas with weights, I think he creates a world that is like a little airless and that like that doesn't have, that doesn't intervene. Yeah. There is no, um, I'm sure he'd be so mad to hear us say this, but like there is no like civil rights movement. There is no like Vietnam war. Like there's just like the broken down hobo kind of character. Yeah. And I'm sure a great defender and fan of Tom Waits would also tell us that this is nonsense and that he deals with all this stuff. And it's like, it is the real world, but I actually don't buy it. Like it's not, that wasn't my experience of listening to this music for the last two and a half weeks. And, and of the characters and the scenarios that are invented, it's pleasant enough to like kind of get into that world occasionally. I don't know, man. Now I think that I'm talking about it. I actually like maybe went from being like, I don't care one way or another anymore to actively disliking it. Mm. Um, I don't know. Maybe I just need to go back and listen to it again, again, mm. and I'll re-see all this shit. But like, I just, I don't know. I just don't have the patience for it. I, and not that it's particularly, not that it's music that demands very much patience. I just, no. I just, there's something about it that's like an old man playing dress up. And yep. it's not, it's, it fall at some point it falls out of the category of like interesting world building into like, he wasn't even that old when he was making most of it, but yeah. You wouldn't know that to listen to him. No, you would not. I I would also no one he'll never answer this fucking question. But what happened? What happened between the last asylum record and the first island record uh-huh. when he went from seeing like a guy who like maybe smoked too much <laughs> to a guy who was being inhabited by some kind of demon? Yes. Like uh-huh. it's it's, well, it's not I, like you just like wake up one day and start to sing like that. No, but it's like he embraced this thing that's kind of um, that's in its infancy in the early records, and was like, "Oh, that's my thing," mm-hmm. and then he just went went for it like whole hog, mm-hmm. you know. And it, what's interesting, um, I don't want to get too sidetracked because I think we should probably wrap it up. But yep. like, he's thinking about the film, his film career. He's been in like over forty, more than forty films. Um, and like as you said, uh, you know, last time like Jim Jarmusch, of course, he's in a lot of his movies. He's also in at least one Vin Vendor's movie that I saw in his filmography. He's also in all these interesting things. Like he's in the Two Jakes, the sequel to Chinatown. He's in um, the Outsiders. Oh, yeah. He's in um, well, that's Coppola too, who loves him. Yeah, he's in um, I think Ironweed, um, which interestingly, like I'm not going to tie together his entire film career because he's in other stuff too. But like. He is, those are, those films are reflections of the world that he's inventing as well. Yeah. There are these like, you know, marginalized, poor white characters committing crimes, like drinking too much, you know, like the whole thing is of a piece. It's very interesting that he didn't actually make those movies. He just got in them. Um Somehow, like, Jarmusch never struck me as, like, a kind of... Even though he invents a whole world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that, again, like, maybe it's the art form. Like, something that film can do with more ease. And, and, a lot, and I have more um, allowance for that. Well, there's always something else to look at in a movie. Um, yeah. And there's never anything else to hear in Tom Waits' music. It's but true. Tom Waits. He, he controls the... I mean, if you hate Tom Waits... <laughs> And you watch Down by Law, yeah. You can still watch everyone else. Be like, wow, these shots are incredible. It's true. Well, um, in summary, uh, I think that you know the faking it in this case was, you know, I just sort of avoided this thing that was definitely this artist who was definitely canonized and who I just felt a discomfort with that I didn't really care to unpack. Now that I've unpacked it. I'm kind of glad I did. Yeah. I feel like I learned something about, definitely about Tom Waits, but also about myself. Yeah. And also about just like other music that I've felt a kind of discomfort with and this kind of general feeling of like, can popular music, can rock music, can folk music get into these areas where like, it's doing a bit, and, you know, and it's kind of, and it's world building in a way that I'm not that keen on. And I've learned that actually I like Tom Waits less than I thought I did. All right. Um, I... I'm glad this episode's over. Yeah. Well, <laughs> All right. We don't know what we're going to talk about next, but we will talk about something on our next episode. So we will see you then. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.